1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. If you use the Bible app, I have the notes in there. You can go to more events and you'll see our church listed there. And I have all the notes. In fact, I'll just tell you, this would be, if you're kind of on there, kind of not, this would be a good Sunday to get on and record. I have done a lot of study, a lot of research and preparation for this. I've got a lot of the notes in here. Uh, we'll see what I'm able to cover over this time. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, are you there? All right, let's uh, read it together. Uh, New King James is what I'm reading out of today. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Yikes. I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. And again, I, most of my verses this morning are out of the New King James. Matthew 6 and verse 19. And this says this. Uh, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on the earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. And let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word this morning. Mighty God, I thank you for your word. And I just, I commit this to you right now. Lord, I have, this has been impressed upon me, and I, I, I pray, Lord, that even as I come and I bring forth your word, I would do so in a way that honors you and brings you glory. And Lord, prayerfully, you will help us all move into a new realm of, of generosity. You'll, you'll move us into a new realm of your provision. You'll move us into a, a realm of freedom, even in regards to the treasures of our heart. And so, Lord, I just ask that today you would release an anointing all across this room. Come on, church, can I ask you to lift your voice right now? Pray for a great anointing to be released in this room now. Lord, I, I pray that you would anoint every listener within the sound of my voice, those in this room, those joining us online, that you would speak to us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that perceives what your spirit is speaking this morning. And I ask a mighty anointing would rest upon me, that I would preach with authority your word as I ought to, Lord. I pray that you would, you would bind the works of the enemy. He would seek to distract, to distort, to confuse your word even as it comes forward. Give us great liberty in receiving from you today, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I, I felt like I got a little bit rebuked from the Lord over the last couple weeks. The last time I preached at all about money, everybody say money. If money talk in the church offends you, well, Buckle your seatbelt. You're going to get very offended today. That's what we're talking about this morning. And I, I, I felt this rebuke from the Lord because I have not preached a message on money 
since 2017. Um, did you know, all right, Bible quiz. Does anybody know what the most frequently discussed topic from the Lord Jesus Christ was in the Bible? Money. Yeah, this is a pretty obvious, it's not a trick question. Money. And how many agree if Jesus felt like if Jesus felt like money discussions, stewardship discussions were important enough for him to talk about it more than anything, how many think it's probably a good idea for us to talk about money as well? Um, I mean, it's, it's wild when you think about it. He preached about money more than he preached about discipleship, more than he preached about miracles, more than he preached about heaven and hell. I mean, he talked about money, and here's the reason why. I believe that money is one of the, in fact, I, I love the way that Dave Ramsey illustrated it one time, one of the most misquoted passages in all of the Bible. You want to know what one of the most misquoted passages in all the Bible is? Money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what the Bible says. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There is, it's not dealing with the fact of money. Really what it's dealing with is what is the affections of your heart? What do you love? Do you love the Lord or do you love money? Is money your God? Uh, uh, and this is the question. And Dave Ramsey, he, he brought out a great illustration. He says you can take something like a brick. And a brick can be used as something uh, destructive in nature. It can be something you can take a brick and you can break a window. You could uh, uh, vandalize a car. It could be very highly destructive. Or a brick could be used to build a wall or to build a church or to make a fire pit. Praise God. You could use a brick for something wonderful. And money is the very same way. Money can be destructive or money can be something that can bring glory to God and can uh, and elevate our lives. And so what I we're going to deal with a number of ideas this morning. And I want us to have a right view on finances. In fact, uh, my perspective may confuse some of you guys. I don't feel like I'm a prosperity preacher, but I don't feel that I'm a poverty preacher either. You say, Pastor Jacob, what are you? Uh, somebody came to me a couple months ago, uh, guest speaker, and they heard me receive the offering. And they said, I loved your, uh, what did he say, your balanced prosperity message. Your balanced prosperity. And I said, I, that might be a good way to put it. But I want to give you, are, are you, can you guys strap in for a Bible study this morning? Can, can I, I think this is going to help us. A lot. Where it's heart check day. Everybody say heart check. Because we're going to deal with where the affection of our heart is. In fact, you'll notice that both of the passages that we read today uh, deal with what is the treasure of our heart. What is the love of our heart. And God has really helped grow me in this area over the last number of years. In fact, my journey in faith giving began as I was observing my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. We were in Bible college. And my wife, I mean, she worked hard. She was a faithful steward. But she always ended up coming up short when it came to her school bill. 
Missionaries, pay attention. This is going to help some of you guys. And so I would observe her and, and realize she still owed thousands of dollars on her school bill. And she would do the craziest thing. In fact, I, I'll never forget her sharing with me this story. We were dating at the time. She still owed, do you remember the amount that you owed? $3,500 she needed to come up with in like two weeks if she was going to be allowed to come back to school. And so she had a chunk of that, I think close to $1,000 or close to $1,000 that she had on her. She gets in a church service and there's an offering being received. $1,000 is not going to cover her $3,600 need. And so what my wife does, now this is insane, this doesn't make sense, but I'm teaching you about kingdom economics here. She took every dollar that she had and she gave it in the offering. And I remember hearing that like, why did you do that? I'm still growing in this area. Why would you go and do such a thing? And so she continues on, and I'll never forget. I, I mean, I remember calling her, wondering, I don't think my girlfriend, my soon-to-be fiancé, is going to be coming back to school. But it was like 24 hours from that time, God brought every dollar that she needed in order to not only get her, pay off her school bill, but also the plane ticket to fly from Hawaii. God supplied every need for this woman of God. And I remember watching this like, God, what is this? I, I never was taught faith giving. I was never taught sowing and reaping. Uh, I was taught, you know, be a good tither. And that was the extent of really all I was ever taught as a young believer. But then, here's, here's the real test for me. When, you want to know one of the good tests for all of our theologians in the house? If you want to test, is this true in right theology? There's, there's a couple tests that you need to run things through. Does this work across generations? Does the belief that I'm adhering to, does it, does it matter if we're talking to old people, young people? Does it work overseas? If I'm talking to people in a third world country versus a first world country, does it still work? And these were some of the questions that were resonating in my mind. Okay, this, this, this supernatural giving thing, I've seen it work for Americans, but will it work for poor people? I remember sitting in a service. I want you to hear me. This is going to set some of you guys free. I was sitting in a service, and it was about operating in the gift of generosity. Everybody say generosity. At that time, my wife and I were doing a lot of traveling ministry. We um, were leading a, a service in a mega church. But one of the things that we did in addition to all of that is we would go down and we would minister to the homeless in downtown Dallas. At times, we would have 500 homeless friends that would gather. We had other ministries that partnered with us who would provide fresh-cooked meals. Uh, we had individuals who would give donations for clothing and all of that. Um, we had people who donated seating and sound systems and everything. There was not one expense that we carried personally or as a church. Everything was provided for for us to go to our homeless ministry. And so I never felt any obligation to receive an offering because every need was met. And the logical part of me is how goofy would it be to go and receive an offering in a homeless service. But as I was sitting in service that day, I'll never forget this statement that this pastor made. He said that generosity 
will break the curse of poverty. Generosity will break the curse of poverty. He proved it through scripture, which I'm going to do the same thing. But here's my mind, and I'm thinking, okay, God, if this is a true statement, if this is a Bible truth, then it's not only going to work for me and my family, but it needs to work for our homeless friends as well. So I went down that day to our homeless church. We had hundreds of of individuals that were gathered together. And just before I got up to preach the word, I shared with them, I echoed the same message that that pastor shared with us that morning. And I said, guys, I believe that generosity will break the curse of poverty. We're going to receive an offering right now. My ushers are going to come. We had got like these little five-gallon buckets because it was all we could come up with in that moment. And I watched as hundreds of homeless individuals immediately stood up and walked away. And I am thinking to myself, this is the worst offering in the history of all offerings that's ever been received. But what I didn't realize was the homeless, our homeless friends, were always concerned about being stolen from. And what I didn't realize is many of them had secret stashes of their money around different camps and whatnot. And so what they were doing is they were all running back to their tents. They were running back to their areas. Some of them had cars. They were going back to grab money. And I'll never forget. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's just kind of etched in my memory forever. As we were passing those buckets, hearing the sound of loose change hitting the bottom of those five-gallon buckets. We received, I don't know, do you even remember? $97. See, my wife is good at She remembers things. We received $97 that morning. But the craziest things started happening. In addition to the other donations that we received, do you know, within the next month or so, we began to have to receive donations for furniture. Because some of our homeless friends began to get apartments and homes that needed to be furnished. We watched as some of these guys went back to college, as individuals got uh, wonderful jobs. I mean, you, you understand there's all different kinds of situations dealing with the homeless. And we wa- I watched with my very own eyes. In fact, we'd have times, I'll never forget this, one guy comes down uh, and he's wearing a full suit. And he comes, he's like, Pastor, I just had to come back and tell you. And I recognize him, but I didn't quite recognize him, you know. Like, where did I know this guy from? He's like, Pastor, I was a part of the homeless church. Trinity Under the Bridge, we called it Church Under the Bridge. He says, I was a part of this homeless ministry about a year ago. And I began to give, and God opened the door for me to finish seminary. And he's like, I just accepted a position as a Baptist pastor. He moved into ministry. He came back down there just to tell me, show show me his suit and everything. He had moved into ministry. It's the most incredible thing. And so, I mean, it's moments like these that really begin to shift my perspective. Like, God, if it can work for them, it can work for anybody. If it can work for my wife... It can work for anybody. And so I'm going to give you some theology lessons this morning. Are you ready for this? So I hope your faith is already rising as we we approach this. There are two major trends in Christianity concerning finances. Uh, And I have all these notes in in the Bible app if you'd like that. But if not, just write these down. Uh, The first major 
uh, trend in Christianity concerning finances is what we would call poverty theology. Everybody say poverty theology. Now, I'm going to... I'm actually not going to demonize any of these things. I'm going to tell you truthfully why certain people believe that, wow, I think this is actually a good thing. Poverty theology considers those who are poor to be more righteous than those who are rich. And here's the reason. It honors those who choose to live dedicated to God to such a degree that pursuit of financial prosperity is simply too much. Now understand, this isn't poverty because they're lazy or irresponsible, but this is like the person, I, I, I've got a friend of mine who's in Egypt right now. He did very well in, in his life, in his profession. All of his kids, they're like nurses and dentists and doctors. I mean, they're all doing very well. And he said, as soon as all of my kids are out of the house and into their profession, I'm going to sell everything I can and go to persecuted areas and minister evangelistically to Muslims. And that's exactly what he does. In fact, he lives in, in incredible poverty. Uh, and the reason is, is he wanted to lay every de- everything down for the sake of the Lord. In fact, he got upset with us when we tried to give him a pair of pants. He's like, why do I need two pairs of pants? I only have two legs. And he would get upset with us. And he literally, he wanted to live, he wants to, he's still over there, he wants to live in such a way that at the drop of a hat, if persecution breaks out, he can grab all of his belongings in a single backpack and get on the road and go. And I say, God bless you. I don't think he's in error for for living that way. He's a man who has chosen a life of poverty in order to be God's hand extended to an area um, that many are unwilling to go. The second major trend that we see concerning finances within Christianity is what we call prosperity theology. Everybody say prosperity. prosperity. Now, I personally like this one better, but I'm actually going to give you a third option in a moment. Prosperity theology considers those who are rich to be more righteous than those who are poor. And here's the reason why. It honors those who are being rewarded by God because of their faith living. And that's true. God wants to bless us. I do see, of course, now we all are aware there are charlatans out there. There are people, and you'll watch them on television, and they'll say, uh, you know, the Lord spoke to me that there's a widow out there, and if you send me $777, God's going to restore to you a sevenfold blessing. And, and I'm just like, mute, um, delete. I, I, the, the Bible, in fact, in 2 Timothy, warns about individuals who will sneak into homes and sway the Bible. I like the King James. Silly women leading them astray into destruction. The Bible says avoid such teachers. And I think we all know the difference. In fact, I, I'll never forget watching. I need to s- slow down with my stories. I, I just get excited. I got so much time today. I'll never forget watching. Christian television on one occasion, and there was a guy I was watching. He shared a verse of scripture. He was receiving an offering, and the whole time I'm watching this, just thinking, this guy's a crook. Like, what is going on with this? But the very next program, and this was mind-boggling, the next person was actually talking about finances as well, used the same exact verse, but I felt the way that he was approaching the topic was in genuine faith and love of the Lord. And I discovered, it's it's the theme of this message. I don't think it has anything to do with money. 
It has everything to do with the heart. Where is our affection? Where is our love? And so I see people who have claimed poverty over their lives in a way that does not glorify God. I've seen individuals who claim poverty. In fact, the Bible talks about, I think I, I gave you some examples of this. There are individuals who are what I would call righteous, rich stewards. Righteous, rich stewards in the Bible. In fact, you can look Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Job, before and after his season of testing, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, he, was clothed, he clothed Jesus in fine linen, had a beautiful tomb to lay him in. You'll read about him in John 19, Mark 15. Um, there's a woman of God named Lydia. She single-handedly funded the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You also read about Dorcas in Acts chapter 9, uh, who is recorded as being one who helped the poor. You can read about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, who was one who was very generous to the poor. So there are examples of righteous, rich stewards in the Bible. But there are examples of unrighteous rich stewards as well. Laban, who was Jacob's uh, father-in-law, kept on changing his wages, kept on trying to steal from him. Uh, Esau, we see, was a very wealthy, influential man. Nabal, um, if you anybody know who Nabal is? He was the one. He had land, he had property, he had all kinds of cattle and everything. David and his army were in great need on one occasion, and he was stingy. He rejected David, forced him away. God ended up judging him because of that uh, stinginess. Haman, Haman's the bad guy in the book of Esther, wealthy, unrighteous man. The rich young ruler, even Judas Iscariot. You know, the Bible talks about how Judas was the treasurer for the ministry of Jesus. Judas was the one who handled all the money, but we also see that Judas was stealing from the ministry as well. Unrighteous, rich steward. There are others who the Bible calls righteous, poor stewards. Ruth and Naomi would fall into this category. The widow who gave uh, a single mite. Arguably, most of the disciples, and I would say most notably of all, Jesus himself was a man of poverty. And I'm going to show you exactly why Jesus chose to live that way. So we see, are you guys trekking with me so far? We see right people who are wealthy and poor. And we see unrighteous people who are both wealthy. I didn't talk much about the, the poor unrighteous. But let me just say this. If you are lazy and poor, that doesn't bring glory to God. If you are, if you don't work and you're poor, if you're a bad steward and you're poor, if you're up to your eyeballs in debt and you're poor, that's not the kind of righteous poverty that I'm talking about today. That doesn't glorify you and it certainly doesn't glorify God. So, praise God. Now, what I want to move on to is if, so you say, Pastor, are you a poverty preacher or are you a prosperity preacher? Well, I would like to adhere to a third different category. Do you want to know what that is? This is what I would call generosity theology. Everybody say generosity theology. It says, you guys are with me this morning. You guys bless me. You encourage me. 
2 Corinthians 9, 11 says this, you will be enriched in every way to be generous on every occasion so that through your giving will produce, so through us your giving will produce thanksgiving to God. Do you hear this? God wants us to be enriched in every way so we can be generous on every occasion. Church, that's what I want for every person within the sound of my voice. That if God puts it on your heart, I want to bless a single mother who's trying to raise her children. That you have the means to be generous in that situation. If God puts it on your heart, I'd like to start a homeless ministry like you had, Pastor Jacob, that you have the means to be able to do that. If you want to hire somebody, I want to give a young person the opportunity to come and mow my lawn, and I'm going to pay him 100 bucks. praise God. If you want to be generous over the top, we should be able to do that, the Bible says, on every occasion. The Apostle Paul modeled this well. He was considered by many to be a righteous, rich steward, but 1 Timothy 5.17 speaks of time that he received double honor. That literally means double pay. Isn't that wonderful? And he knew how to abound financially, how to be full, but in Philippians 4.12, we also see that he went through seasons of suffering and need, going hungry, being financially abased, but Paul had every need provided for by the giving from other churches and individuals like Lydia, who I mentioned before, but there were also seasons where he worked physically a second job. The Bible records that he was a tent maker for at least a period of time in Acts 18 in verse 3. So much that I could give, but let me give you some true principles that we all need to live by. I believe God wants us all to be generous. I believe that there are certain things like we shouldn't be up to our eyeballs in debt. We should have every opportunity to be givers and supernatural givers. Um, and let me, let me give you a couple things. You want to know what some good financial practices are according to Scripture? You can write these down. Again, I have these in your notes. The Bible says, Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to abundance. But everyone who is hasty only comes to poverty. So we're going to be diligent. Everybody say, I'm diligent. Well, you're going to have plenty. If you're hasty... If you're making impulse decisions all the time, I don't even need to do this. Let's go do uh, You will surely have poverty, according to the Bible. Let me give you a couple good Bible practices. I don't like this first one, but it's biblical. Romans 13, 7 says, it is godly to pay your taxes. Hallelujah. Giving first fruits and your best to God. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Avoiding debt, Proverbs 22, 7. The Bible says that, uh, that, the, that the borrower is a slave to the lender. I don't want slaves in our midst, friend. Avoid debt. Praise God. Uh, the Bible says that having money in savings and having good insurance this is how a righteous, abundant person lives. You have money and savings and good insurance. Uh, the Bible speaks of being generous instead of stingy. In Proverbs eleven twenty four, 24, 
The Bible talks about investing cautiously and patiently, Proverbs 13, 11. And the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's a big inheritance if not only your children, but even your grandchildren are able to receive of it. That's in Proverbs 13, 22. In fact, you'll notice a lot of these passages come out of Proverbs, which I may remind you that Proverbs was written by the wealthiest man on the planet. And it's the Bible above and beyond that. So, here's a question. Should a Christian tithe? (laughs) Thank you, Jen. Should a Christian tithe? Well, let let me give you a basis because I know this is, I actually don't get pushback much on this. I used to get a lot of pushback. We'd bring people into membership, and then they'd want to come and sit down and debate with me about the tithe. And so, listen, I've got two acceptable views when it comes to tithing, um, but, but I'm just, I'm, I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off at the, at the front end. There is no way that you can get around being generous as a Christian. Being stingy and being a Christian do not go together. There's no way around it. And so let me, let me give you the theology of the tithe. Tithe literally means tenth. Everybody say tenth. So that means if you have $100, what is a tithe? $10. You got it. Tithing, by the way, predates the law. Some people say, well, that's old law. That's old covenant. No, it's not. Tithing actually began, the idea began with Adam and Eve in the garden. You have the whole garden. It's all yours to enjoy, but this part right here belongs to me. You steward it, don't eat of it. It began with Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel, the next generation, they both, we see, brought offerings to the Lord, and they saw that that was right. Abraham brought a tithe to a priest of God. Isaac and Jacob brought offerings continually before the Lord. We see this all before The Mosaic law was put in place, but eventually it was. We see in Numbers that there was a a law that was instituted for God's people that the first 10%, everybody say first 10%, this is why the moment that I get paid, before I pay my rent, before I pay my electric bill, before I anything, I will take the tithe. And I'll take the offerings that I have, my wife and I have agreed upon, and I immediately take that out and I put it in another account so I don't touch it. I set it apart for the Lord. In addition, I want to pay attention to this. Some of you get offended that we receive offerings in this church. Listen to what, this is what God's people were required to do. In addition to tithes and offerings, um, there was an additional 10%, an additional 10%. Everybody say additional 10%. How much percent are we up to now? 20. That was paid for festivals and to build community and celebration. You see that Deuteronomy chapter 12 uh, and Deuteronomy 14. In fact, we still do this as a church. Three times a year during the feast of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Because the Bible says in these passages, I've given you the references, it says that three times a year you're to come before me and you're never to come empty-handed. You're always to come with a offering. And he says that you are to do this forever. 
In fact, you'll notice that even, I mean, God is still operating on this same time clock, friend. You'll notice that in, in the Feast of uh, what we recognize as Easter happened during the same time as what the Old Testament would have called Passover. We notice that the outpouring at Pentecost happened during the same, the Feast of Pentecost, where they were recognizing not only the first harvest of the year, but also the giving and the instituting of the Old Testament law. Now, we don't yet have a modern celebration for the Feast of Tabernacles, but many theologians, and I'm in this camp as well, believe that one of these years, Feast of Tabernacles, is when Jesus himself is going to return. That's going to be exciting. So, um, so be ready for that. Another 3% was given to help the poor. Everybody had to give 3.3%. That's in Deuteronomy 14, 28. And occasionally, other tithes and offerings were collected above and beyond the regular tithe. You'll see an instance of that in Nehemiah 10, 32. So hear me. Bare minimum Old Testament giving was 25%. There were seasons where Israel operated under what we would call a theocracy where not only was the religious institution but the political institution oversaw the body. And during those times, there were times where nearly 40% would be required to give to the work of God. Somebody say, 10% sounds pretty good. By the way, and let me just add this in here. The tithe always was to the place of worship. It was always to the church. It was the place where they were fed spiritually. It always has been. There were other offerings at times that were given to the poor. Um, your tithe, hear me, goes to the house of God. My wife and I support a couple ministries on our own. We choose to give to, uh, you know, I, I still support the ministry um, that, you know, I really got saved and discipled under together in the harvest. That was Steve Hill's ministry. His wife still runs that ministry. And my wife and I give to that every month. We give to others like John Bevere. There's ministries that we believe in what they do, but that's not my tithe. We give above and beyond our tithe to those ministries. Our tithe goes to our church. In fact, I would say even to our visiting guests and family, if you're a member at another church, don't give your tithe to us today. If God puts it on your heart to give an offering, praise God. But you return your tithe to the church that you call home. That's biblical. It's not right if we take our tithe. Well, I'm just going to give to this other ministry outside the church. I'm going to support a missionary instead of returning my tithe to the church. Friend, don't steal your tithe. All right. Jesus, and now you're still on the tithe here. Are you guys still trekking with me? Is this okay? Am I hurting your feelings? Okay, praise God. Jesus, hear me, and the apostles never corrected or changed the method of tithes and offerings. And they were presented with opportunities to do this. In fact, you'll see one in Matthew 23. You don't have to turn there, but the Pharisees actually came to Jesus arguing about what giving was supposed to look like. And Jesus said flat out, you can see this in Matthew 23, 23, and also in Luke eleven forty two. 42. Jesus says, hear me, direct quote, letters in red, you should tithe. That's Jesus. He affirmed in the New Testament, you should tithe. But then 
With the Pharisees, he goes after their heart. Don't forget to be just and merciful and faithful. He's actually telling them they were neglecting their family at times. They weren't providing for their parents. And instead, they were saying, well, the money I would give to them, I'm going to give to the church instead. And Jesus is saying, give your tithe, but you better take care of your family. Take care of your family. Friend, hear me on this. Don't leave your bills unpaid so you can give an additional offering. I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, I can't believe you're saying that. Give your tithe. That belongs to the Lord. But you take care of your family. If you don't provide for your family, the Bible actually, it actually condemns that behavior. Jesus condemned that behavior. We have a responsibility to take care of our family. Take care of your family. Be generous. Now, I know there's somebody sitting in the room today. They're going to say, Pastor, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Now, this is where I ask you at the beginning, do I have to tithe? Listen, if you want to be a grace giver, that's an acceptable answer as well. But let me tell you something about grace. Did you know that grace actually holds us to a higher standard than what the law does? Pay attention. Jesus actually made the statement. He says, listen, Old Testament adultery, you're sleeping with somebody who's married. Under grace, if you look upon somebody with lust, you've committed adultery. Higher standard. Old Testament, you kill somebody, that's murder. New Testament grace says if you hate your brother in your heart. You haven't even committed the act, but you hate them in your heart. You're guilty of murder. Grace does not hold us to a lower standard. It doesn't say, well, you know, just do your best. No, grace holds us to a higher standard than what the Old Testament does. So listen, if you say, Pastor, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. All right. You know what you're telling me? That 10% is the floor of where your giving and your generosity should begin. It's not the cap, it's not the ceiling. That's the bare minimum of what you should be doing. And it should far exceed that because we're held to a higher standard under grace. So if that's how you would choose to live, but, but again, I'll just say, there's no getting around generosity in Scripture. There's simply not. God has called us to be a generous people. Amen? Um, man, I'm only halfway through, but I need to end this thing. Worship team, would you come right now? Let, I'm going to give you one more idea as we draw this thing to a close, and then we're going we're gonna to take a moment to give. Part of the reason, this is what I'm about to share with you is probably the most important part of everything that I've shared yet today. Part of the reason I feel such a conviction to share in the way that I am today is I believe that giving is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. You say, what do you mean by that? 2 Corinthians 8-9 says... You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. 
Keep that up there for a minute. Jesus was rich in heaven. Everything was his. He chose to come, be born in a manger, to lay everything down. He told his disciples, I don't even have a place to lay down my head. Jesus was poor. But the Bible says that through, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now listen, I, I, I tore apart commentaries and, and different messages to see like, I, I just wanted to make sure that I really understood what this passage was saying. This chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Every verse in those two chapters is about money. It's about generosity. There's no getting around it. Some commentators have tried to take this thing and say, oh, that's a spiritual reality. When you get to heaven, you'll be rich. But those are the same people who say miracles aren't for today. Holy Spirit's not moving today. Yeah, one day when we get to heaven, then we'll have all that. Friend. The reason I pray for sick people every single week is because I live with a conviction that Jesus Christ himself shed his blood. By his stripes, we were healed. And so I'll never stop praying for the sick. I will never stop praying for the We are commanded to pray for the sick. And if Jesus suffered for it, I want Jesus to receive the reward of his suffering. Every week, I will cry out, for hearts to turn and surrender to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus suffered and died so that people could spend eternity with him, not separated, eternity in hell. I want Jesus to receive the reward of his suffering. It is a lifelong conviction. I'm willing to lay down my life for it. But by the very same measure, if Jesus chose to lay down wealth and live in poverty. And the Bible says that he did that so that we could become rich. I want you to think about this. If we're not living in a way that we're able to be generous on all occasions, that means that Jesus' sacrifice was for nothing. Are you hearing me today? I don't want what Jesus laid down to go to waste. I don't want his sacrifice to be for nothing. And if God says you're to be generous on all occasions, and this is a gospel matter, well, friend, I want to be a giver. I want to be generous. I want to break. In fact, I feel like we need to pray that way. Right now, this is what we're going to do. I want my ushers to come up and down the aisles. and We're going to give an offering. We're going to receive our tithes. If you need an envelope, I want you to raise your hand. If you want to text to give, we're bringing up the information there on the screen. And every one of us can approach this in faith. I want you to hear me. Some of you who are about to give right now, you feel like, Pastor, I feel like poverty is clinging to my life. And I'm going to share the same thing that I opened this service with today. That generosity will break the curse of poverty. I'm going to talk about that next week. 
how generosity will break the curse of poverty. Some of you may be here and you've got a financial need like my wife. I don't know how I'm going to come up with this money. But I'm telling you, as we sow, we will reap. We'll talk about that next week. Some of you may be here and you say, well, pastor, I'm not living in the wealth that God has called me to. I'm not able to be generous on all occasions. But if Jesus sacrificed so that I could have that, I want that as a reality. Maybe God's speaking to you today and you say, I need to begin to tithe. I've been withholding. I've been giving other places outside the the church where I'm fed, but I want to begin to tithe. We're going to pray for that as well. This is what I want you to do. I see a couple of you still riding, and that's fine. As soon as you're able, I want you to stand. And I want you to hold that gift up in the air right now. Some of you are returning your tithe. Others are are giving an offering above and beyond. But here's what I want to do. I want to make some declarations over us today. I'm going to believe for the curse of poverty be broken off of our lives. You understand our giving is spiritual warfare. The Bible says that as we give, as we return our tithe, that he himself will rebuke the devourer for our sake. Things that consume your finances, the Lord goes into warfare in this moment. And so Lord, right now, with this gift lifted as an offering before you. Lord, your word talks about wave offerings, and that's what we're bringing to you today. With lifted hands, Lord, right now, I'm asking that there would be even warfare that would be performed on our behalf. Right now, under the authority of the precious blood of Jesus, I break the spirit of poverty off of the people of God in the name of Jesus. I bind every work of the enemy. I resist every everything that would consume or divide or devour, Lord, our finances. God, even, even your word talks about those who are living with holes in their pockets. But God, I'm asking that you would reverse our financial conditions in the name of Jesus. And God, you would move us into a realm of generosity that you not only supply our every need, but according to your word, O Lord, that you empower us to be generous on every occasion. Lord, I declare over your people bonuses, raises, promotions, inheritances, and favor. I declare over your people witty inventions, ideas, even houses that we did not build, vineyards that we did not plant. As Abraham was blessed in every way. May God bless you in every detail of your life. As God blessed Jacob, changing his name to Israel, may your name Christian cause you to be fruitful and multiply in all you set your hands to do. Even as Job, as he suffered loss, but he resulted in twice as much as he had before. As you give your tithe, may financial and material blessing run you down and overtake you in every area. May the devourer be rebuked and annihilated while other Others rise up and call you blessed. I declare over you the heavens are open, the devourer is rebuked, and time of favor has come upon you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is what I want to do. Ushers, in fact, you're all standing. Let's make this a faith step this morning. Can you just put these buckets?